0: hello my name is rob edwards and this it's only my podcast well actually in fact it's not only my podcast anymore uh, because i'm actually um, recording this both in podcast format and for my youtube in an exciting bit of story-based synergy which i am absolutely thrilled with Uh, for those of you who are my loyal podcast listeners welcome back it's been a while sorry about that I have moved a lot of content creation onto YouTube, so if you've been wondering where I have been, uh, then uh, check out my YouTube. I I will uh, try and post a link in the description or something. Uh, I am uh, very excited, though, to be back reading stories to you. It is something which I have missed doing, uh, and I am very excited to be able to do that again with you today. Uh, For those of you who are uh, YouTube watchers, uh, this is something I've been doing on my podcast for a very long time, although often with Long, long gaps between episodes. Uh, but I'm going to be trying to get an episode a month on both my podcast and on my YouTube, uh, which is going to be me reading stories I have written uh, to you, uh, my loyal followers. Uh, and today, well, it's a bit of a cheat, if I'm honest. Today, I'm going to be reading the start, chapter one of Improbable Cause. Now, this is a re-edit of uh, the chapter that I read a a few episodes ago on the podcast. Uh, About half of it is brand new, so, you know, it's still worth listening if you heard episode 38 before. Uh, But I began this story called Improbable Cause, which I always intended to be a science fiction novella, with the intent of reading it for my Patreon. Uh, podcast. I was doing a sort of sideline Patreon podcast, and I read the first chapter on my podcast, my regular podcast, uh, as a sort of uh, an introduction to get people interested in coming across and joining my Patreon. This was an astounding success, in as much as I managed to get one follower on Patreon. Uh, Nathaniel, you're a great guy. i very much enjoyed your support during the time, but I I eventually told him uh, to unsubscribe from it because nobody else joined him, and I felt vaguely embarrassed by the whole thing. It does still exist. I I, I mean, just, you know, by the way, if you do feel like you would like to support what I do uh, at the going rate of a dollar a month, you can go and join uh, my Patreon community. It would be a lonely place in the first instance, but Maybe, maybe you'd be interested in joining others. Um, it, it, it still exists. It still exists. You can still sign up for it. But I, I'm not expecting any obligation to do so here. No, instead, I'm going to take what I wrote of Improbable Cause and turn it into a monthly podcast uh, that I'm going to read for you, my loyal, regular podcast and YouTube followers. How exciting is that? Uh, it is not finished. I've written, uh, I think, eight chapters of this story. I know there are going to be eleven or twelve. I've, I haven't checked actually. I should have checked before I started recording. Never mind. Uh, but so there will be uh, at least the next eight or nine months of material for the podcast, right there. Hopefully, an entire year if I do get the story finished, and I plan to. But we all know what happened when I read. Uh, written blood and silver with a very similar plan so let's not make any promises I can't keep Uh, but there will be at least certainly uh, at least eight episodes of the podcast coming uh, from my writing improbable cause Uh, and also uh, I've got a new story coming up in the next Inklings anthology Tales from Alternate volume three Uh, so as I normally do I will read uh, my story from there uh, for you as well at some point Uh, So there we go. That's where we are. That's where we're at. Um, In other news, I guess, in other me-related news, um, the sales for the Ascension Machine went well. I mean, they didn't sort of blow the world apart and suddenly become international bestseller overnight, Uh, but I'm really pleased with the way the launch went, and I'm really pleased uh, with uh, my initial sales, and so is my publisher. So I do have uh, the sequel, of um, The Ascension Machine. It's called The Crossover Paradox, uh, and I've completed writing that. It is currently with my publishers uh, who are going to be editing it so that I can do rewrites and get some fixes done. So we're expecting to see The Crossover Paradox, the sequel to The Ascension Machine, in about March next year, I think is the plan. So that's really exciting. But it's not why we're here today. Why we're here today is to read to you uh, the first chapter of Improbable Cause. Now, as I said, if you're a long-time listener, you've heard some of this before, but about half of it is new material. So I hope you'll still find something to enjoy from it. And we will meet again at the end of May uh, for chapter two, which again, will have some similar material in it uh, because I'm, I've am i divided up the, where the chapter breaks fall. But after that, it will be all new content for everybody. Here we go then. Chapter one of Improbable Cause. Most of you are no doubt aware of the observer effect, Dr. Duncan Bliss said. The idea that the very act of examining a subject can change its nature, like opening the oven door to check a cake, reduces the temperature of the oven, potentially spoiling the baking process. The effect is also present when we consider safety in space travel with results far more serious than a soggy bottom. The script had a pause for a laugh at this point. It wasn't a great joke, but it could still provoke a chuckle from some audiences. Audiences, for example, who were actually listening to what he said. Duncan looked out across the crowded lecture theatre and conducted a brief statistical analysis. Only about 10% of the audience appeared to be paying attention. Approximately 25% of them were staring ahead, blank-faced and disinterested. Around half were studying their phones instead. The remainder were chatting amongst themselves, snacking or dozing. A few of them did perk up at his next slide, a high quality photo of a large orbital station hanging in space above the earth. This is the most recent addition to the Eagle Network, Launched last year, Eagle 17 was dubbed the Armstrong to celebrate 50 years since that first historic moonwalk. While all the Eagle stations act as vital laboratory spaces, Eagle 17's primary function is as a zero-gravity factory, almost doubling the network's manufacturing capabilities, significantly increasing the production of vital pharmaceuticals and data crystals. Early in its service, the Armstrong suffered a series of APL events, um, atmosphere, pressure, loss. Uh, Relatively minor, as these things go, repair crews on site dealt with each of them swiftly. The focus of my team is not the fixing of the problem, but understanding the cause of the problem and advising on mitigation strategies. The next slide was supposed to be a schematic of the offending system with technical annotations another look around the room, another risk assessment, and Duncan left the pretty picture of the spaceship up instead. It transpired that new safety checks initiated at the plant that manufactured the Armstrong's life support systems had overstressed the systems even before they were installed. This made them more vulnerable when further stressed in situ, a classic case of the observer effect in action. Pause for dawning appreciation to spread through the room. <sighs> Someone in the audience coughed loudly in the silence. Time to cut his losses. Thank you for your attention today, such as it was. We have a couple of minutes left. Uh, what questions do you have? Uh, yes, please. A young man in the middle row lowered his hand. So, are you like an astronaut or what? Uh, hmm. It's a fair question. My job title is Space Safety Consultant, but that doesn't really cover everything I do. I don't see myself as an astronaut, no. I think the most relatable, meaningful title I might give myself would be Workplace Risk Assessor. A series of whistles and chirps came from a doorway by the back of the auditorium. They were followed by a rich, warm, but Duncan knew, artificial voice, interpreting the sounds into English. "'He always does this. Yes, he's an astronaut. "'He went topside eight times in the last 12 months.' "'A wave of excitement crashed through the auditorium. "'All heads turned to look at the new arrival. "'My colleague Chanio,' Duncan gestured broadly, "'who does enjoy making an entrance.' "'Chanio was a little tall for an anachrome. "'A metre and a half when in motion, a little more at rest.' His plumage was yellow with highlights in green and black, and his large dark eyes faced front over his beak, making him look like an angry sock puppet of a budgie. Anachro managed to look simultaneously fierce and ridiculous, a fact that Chanyo knew well and liked to play with. "'Hi, everybody,' he chirped. He bobbed and fussed, waving at some of the audience, pointing at others. Anacro wings functioned more like arms and hands. They couldn't fly, at least not in earth gravity. Good to meet you all. I hope you're treating my buddy here well. Oh, that's a fabulous scarf. Shame it wouldn't work with my colouring. Why, yes, I am an anachro. How could you tell? Chanio? Oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. Pretend I'm not here, just not too hard, okay? Chanio bobbed back and forth apologetically. Duncan sighed. I think we're done. Uh, Thank you for giving me this chance to talk to you all today. I hope you will consider space safety as a career path when you graduate. I am Dr. Duncan Bliss, and that was my colleague, Chaniot. The room erupted with enthusiastic applause. Duncan was reasonably sure it wasn't for his talk. Or if it was, it was for his talk ending. Afterwards, they crossed the new campus of the University of Amsterdam together, heading to the closest tram stop. As they progressed, they gathered a small train of onlookers. There were only a few hundred anacro on Earth at any time, and most people had never seen one in real life before. Duncan walked in his friend's shadow, quite content to let him have the limelight. Well, that went very well, I thought, Chanio said. It really didn't. "'Duncan said. "'I don't get what happened. "'I prepared a presentation for engineering and statistics students. "'Somehow the title of the event got changed to "'Battling Threats in Outer Space, "'and entirely the wrong sort of people signed up.' "'Chanio whistled innocently. "'It is what we do, from a certain point of view.' "'I thought you were supposed to be in Vancouver,' "'Duncan growled softly, careful not to let his voice carry.' Chanyo tapped the box on his belt to reduce his speaking volume, though his chirps and whistles were as loud as ever. I was, but we got a priority call. They needed us upstairs. Something serious? (laughs) When isn't it? Chanyo tapped his comm box again, returned the waves from a group of girls they were passing. Thank you so much for the warm greeting. I I feel so special. What's the problem? The terrazine regulator on Eagle 9 keeps spiking its energy draw. They want to know why. Duncan stopped in his tracks. Chania overshot and had to hop back to him. The terrazine regulator? Duncan asked. That's part of the anachro subsystem, isn't it? As if you have to ask. Yes, of course. Don't worry. I have tech specs for you to study before we go up. Give. Chania bobbed his head towards their audience. Otne ierhe, he said. Quite how the translator box managed pig Latin, Duncan wasn't sure, but he had to concede Chanio's point. Okay, at the hotel then. Chanio bobbed for one of his admirers. A song for your girlfriend, of course. Always happy to oblige. He hopped up onto a nearby bollard, tapped turn off his comm box, and began a warbling melody counterpointed with trills and chirps. Assuming we ever get to the hotel, Duncan said, but Chania wasn't listening to him. Chania had booked them rooms in a hotel next to Space Schiphol. They would overnight there before heading topside the next day. When it became politically inevitable that Europe needed its own spaceport, countries within the European Union vied for the economic boost of building it. Amsterdam and the Dutch won because, while they were too far north to be ideal, Europe was full. The amount of land required for safe launches necessitated either bulldozing and repurposing vast swathes of existing countryside or the creation of new land, something the Dutch had been doing for years. Their skill for reclaiming land from the sea, augmented of course by insights from the Anachro, was able to produce the fresh, flat, unused land the spaceport needed in less than a decade. Construction of the infrastructure for the spaceport quickly followed. A name was proposed, adopted, and ignored. Everybody just called it Space Schiphol or or just Schiphol. Inevitably, this led to some confusion with the airport, but the Dutch seemed largely content with it. All the normal adjunct businesses followed. Hotels, restaurants, and the endless car parking were quickly established, as well as the support organisation needed for any transportation hub. Conference centers, shipping companies, medical facilities were all built on the fresh new land, all erected in record time with the aid of Anachro engineers. It meant that Schiphol was one of the few places on earth where Anacro drew no more attention than human travelers. A fact that came as a welcome relief after Chanio's performance at the university. The receptionist didn't bat an eye as they signed in. Meet you in the bar for drinks later, Chanyo asked. Duncan shook his head. I want to spend the evening studying those schematics. Come on, you've made me wait long enough. Hand them over. Chanyo reached into his vest pocket and pulled out a data crystal. Here you go, buddy. There may be a few things redacted still, obviously, but there should be enough to give you a grounding. Understood. Almost all of the systems in the Eagle stations and on Tranquility Base were designed by humans. The Anacro provided advice, hints, and occasionally warnings, but their intent was to encourage human minds to solve their own problems. Since their very first meeting, Anacro had been clear on this. They could offer assistance, not give answers. It was important to human development that they struggle to find their own solutions. It made sense to Duncan. It meant actually it was rare to see pure Anacro technology in the wild, their comboxes being one of the few exceptions. The idea that they were willing to share schematics for one of the few Anacro systems on the Eagle stations was exciting. Duncan hurried to his room, ordered up a meal, then sat down to review the schematics. On the first page, only three words were not blacked out. A few things still redacted, Duncan muttered to himself, but pressed on. The second page was better, still. Every hint about the purpose of the system had been removed, leaving tantalising hints in the way that the various components interacted. He read deep into the night, despite the black bars of secrecy. When sleep finally claimed him, his dreams were full of images of the Terrazine Regulator and its associated systems. For the first time in years, Duncan slept through his alarm. He barely had time for coffee, packing his flight bag, and basic grooming. His spiky red hair rarely cooperated even when he had time. He then had to hurry down to the lobby to meet Chania. A short walk from there across the Schiphol Centre for Space Health for their pre-flight check. It could be the latency on the secondary circuit. Chanyo suggested. He tapped the screen of his tablet with one taloned finger to zoom the circuit diagram to that component. That would explain the glitching on the diagnostics they sent us, Duncan said, feeling bleary, but it doesn't explain the actual problem that they ran the diagnostics for. There's no point speculating until we get topside and we can look for ourselves. Chania gave a disgruntled chirp. It's frustrating. The regulator is rated for 20 years in service that one's been in place barely for five. Seven. What? Check the specs again. It was installed in October 2013. That's seven years, not five, said Duncan. It's still a lot less than 20. Granted, but mean time to failure is a bell curve. They will always be outliers. There's no point speculating. Until we get topside. Right. They paused by the map of the med center to get their bearings. Another anachro passed them. It whistled a greeting to Chanyo as it bobbed by. Third floor, said Duncan. Right, elevator, stairs. Duncan always took the stairs for any floor below the 10th. He spent enough time in reduced gravity environments that exercise was important to build and maintain muscle mass. And Duncan took that requirement seriously. The anacro were far more adaptable to gravity changes, didn't need to work to maintain their muscles, but Chanio grudgingly followed Duncan. Duncan jogged up the stairs, controlling his breathing. Do keep up, he called over his shoulder. It's times like this, Chanio said, but I wish we could still fly. Duncan picked a seat in the doctor's waiting room at the opposite end to the only other occupant, a middle-aged man in a business suit. Chanio fluttered in a few seconds later. You're late, said Duncan. Without checking the time, I can tell you we're early. Precisely half an hour early, I expect. Because when I go anywhere with you, that's what always happens. Lateness is rudeness. Arriving before your host is ready for you can be rude too. Duncan shrugged. That was just the one time. Janio chirped. Twice. Okay, three times if you include Janet's housewarming. We arrived at her house before she did. And you got to experience the earth custom of the protracted awkward silence. Isn't that the sort of cultural exchange you're shadowing me to experience? Chanyo's feathers ruffled. I'm as much an engineer as you are, buddy. Duncan grinned. The latency on the secondary circuit says differently. Chanyo hopped over to the window just as a plume of fire erupted skywards from the far side of the spaceport. This far out, it made barely a rumble in the soundproof waiting room. There goes the nine o'clock. Just like I thought, we're half an hour early. It's right on schedule, though. Of course it was. Variance meant unpredictability, and that bred fallibility. Every part of every launch would be checked and double-checked. Their flight wasn't for another four hours, but the pre-flight would already be well underway. It was a trade-off, however, the observer effect again. Each interaction with each component also introduced an opportunity for new failures so checks needed to be thorough, but not too thorough. Duncan's doctoral thesis had been a discussion of that particular paradox, and the European Space Agency had adopted some of his conclusions as best practice. The sound of the shuttle grew louder. "'Does the launch look okay?' Duncan asked. "'Looks solid to me,' said Chania. "'The ascent angle is right in the cone, if I am any judge.' "'Weird. Why are the engines so loud?' Loud? I can't hear them. My hearing's a lot sharper than yours. Chanio bobbed back over to him. Dunk? Buddy, you okay? You've gone awfully pale. I'm fine. Perhaps I... perhaps I should have taken the lift after all. I had a bad night last night. Overslept and had to skip breakfast. It was probably just low blood sugar. You skipped a refueling shop? You... I might need to take back that machine man badge. (laughs) I'm good, but I think I'll take a little water. He stood and took a step forward towards the water cooler. The world tilted sideways, and Duncan fought to stay upright. The sound of the shuttle's engines thundered in his ears. I, he said. The sound was unbearable, wiped every other thought from his head. A cacophony, an explosion... No, voices, a hundred, a thousand, all shouting over each other. Voices he recognised, some he didn't. He heard himself shouting in anger, but also, again, roaring in pain. Chanio's voice, too, a mix of the musical version of English the comboxes used, but chirps and whistles, too. Other voices he'd never heard before, angry voices, sad ones, a few joyful. All shouting over each other to become a single, never-ending note. A wave of contradictory thunder. Fingers clamped down around his shoulder, talons pricking. Duncan pulled away, staggered forward despite the room spinning wildly around him. Escape! He fell, caught his skull on the edge of a chair. Red pain exploded through his head. He fell, put a hand out to catch himself, smashed fingers against a hard edge. He fell, but strong feathered arms caught him. He fell... A man's hand grasped a woman's. He was pushed. The voices fell away until only two were left. Chanio calling Duncan's name and Duncan's own voice screaming. Darkness closed in. And there ends chapter one of Improbable Cause. Uh, Join me at the end of May uh, for chapter two. Uh, and we will go, go monthly from there is the plan with, as I said, the occasional interruption for things like reading uh, my story for Tales from a Earth's Volume 3 uh, when it's ready. Uh, thank you very much for that. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you are uh, new to the uh, podcast, uh, then check out some other great stories uh, in the history. If you're new to the video, then there are probably links on the screen somewhere. You can go and look for other stuff as well. Uh, Thank you very much for listening and or watching, and I will catch you next time. Cheers.